chapter 3, verses 21 to 24, and then we turn to 1 John 5. We will read these words, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, Keep yourselves from idols. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. Crumbs. Someone told me last night I had OCD. And uh, someone told me that even in Hobart, they think I have OCD. The word is getting out and about. It's very disturbing. As we were singing that song before, uh, I was reminded in a line, of a line in a movie. Uh, I know you can be overwhelmed, I know you can be underwhelmed, but can you just be whelmed? I think you can in Europe, was the reply. And, uh, and I know you can be encumbered, I know you can be unencumbered, but can you just be cumbered? I don't know. Anyway. Don't spend the whole sermon thinking about that. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, we have a great friend in Jesus and that we can bring uh, all our sins and griefs to him and know that uh, you hear us through him. 
Lord, we pray that as we think about prayer this morning that you would encourage us to pray and that you would encourage us to come to you with great boldness. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, over the last six weeks uh, here at the branch, we've been going through 1 John and asking that question, am I really a Christian? And I hope that as we've gone through that you've been challenged to ask that question yourself or perhaps you've been asking that question already and you've been encouraged and you've seen perhaps the fruit of God at work in your life. Perhaps you haven't seen the fruit of God at work in your life and that's driven you back to the cross or to the cross for the very first time and you've really discovered the gospel. There's lots of reasons that assurance of salvation is important. Assurance is important because it gives us peace when we face death. We know where we're going. Uh, it brings, uh, it fuels our mission and it fuels our evangelism because we are excited about what God has done for us. We know what he's done, we know what he's done for us and that fuels us to share that joy and excitement with others. So assurance of salvation is important for a number of reasons but here at the end of the book of John John introduces another one, perhaps one we might not expect. And that is that assurance of salvation gives us confidence in prayer. So in 5.13, that bit that uh, Chris read before, John says that the reason he's written this letter is so that you may know that you have eternal life. But then he goes on to spell out how assurance not only gives us a confidence about eternal life and the day of judgment, but how assurance gives us confidence in prayer. So the next few verses, chapter 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Assurance that we belong to God, that we really know Jesus, gives us his confidence that our prayers are actually heard by God. When we pray, God hears us. I find that uh, talking to people, that you often uh, hear people say that they're not sure that God actually hears them. That when they pray, they feel like they're just talking to an empty room or speaking to a brick wall. They're kind of just speaking into the air and their, and their prayers just go unheard, unanswered unnoticed. But John is saying that we can know that we're heard by God and we can know that we're heard by God because we have that assurance of salvation. If we know that we're God's children, we know that God hears us. If we know that we're united with Christ, we know that God hears us. If we know that the Holy Spirit lives in us, then we know that God hears us. If we know that our, that our sins have been buried with Christ... We know that God hears us. If we know that we've been raised with Christ to new life, then we know that when we pray, God hears us. So do you feel that your prayers go unheard? Do you feel that your prayers go unanswered? If you do, then the, the, the remedy isn't just to pray more, but the remedy is to seek assurance of salvation, is to put yourself to the test to examine yourself in the ways that John has kind of outlined here in this letter of his. 
to put ourselves to the test and to keep fleeing to Jesus. John says that if we have assurance that we belong to God, then we know that what we ask, God hears. And that what we ask, we receive. Now the question I think that we all have is, does John really mean that? Whatever we ask, we have what we ask. That's what John says. But is that really true? Is it really just a matter of shooting off that arrow prayer, as Colin Buchanan says, and knowing that you're going to get the answer that you ask for? The key phrase uh, that John uses, though, is anything we ask according to God's will. It's only the prayers asked according to God's will that uh, we have what we ask for. We don't always ask uh, for the right things. Sometimes we uh, just pray for what suits us. We, we might pray for things that is going to make our life easy. We might pray so that God would act and that we don't have to bother to act. John doesn't say that we'll get those things. Prayer isn't a blank check where uh, God gives us uh, the check and we just write on whatever it is that we want and bank it. God hears our request, John says, when our prayers are in line with his will. And yet sometimes we pray in line with God's will, don't we? So we might pray for the advance of the gospel. We might pray that our church would grow. We might pray that our children would come to know Christ, that they'd have a real and a living faith. But even those things might not be prayers that God answers. Theologians have often distinguished distinguished, uh, throughout the history of the church between God's revealed will, that is God's purposes, the things that he's desired, that he's revealed to us, like the way we should live, but also God's secret will, what God does in particular situations, how God, what God has in mind for our future. God doesn't tell us that. He gives us a general outline. But we don't know each and every instance. Even Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, that you might take this cup away from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus still faced the cross, but he prayed that he wouldn't have to. If we know we belong to Jesus, then anything we ask, John says, according to God's will, we know that we have it. But how does that help us? Doesn't the ambiguity of not knowing whether or not it's God's will just kind of leave us in this vacuous kind of empty situation that we were in before? Aren't we just still floundering around in, in the same kind of uncertainty? Does God hear or does, not, does God not hear? I uh, find flying such a spiritually refreshing exercise, flying in a plane that is, not uh, flying under my own steam, but um, I find flying in a plane uh, a spiritually refreshing exercise, uh, mainly because I'm a terrible pessimist. 
uh, very disturbing pessimist probably, and every time I fly in the plane, I find myself as we taxi uh, to the runway and as we take off, I find myself praying. It's a very sobering experience. I imagine the worst. I uh, imagine a wing falling off uh, or the plane plummeting into the ocean or into the ground uh, or an engine exploding and tearing through the cabin. I, I often catch those dash eights, you know, and the, uh, the turboprops. And I always seem to be positioned right next to the propeller. And I just look out the window and I think, wow, that thing could come spinning off and uh, take my head right off. <laughs> and so I pray. Uh, you know, and you think, you, you think don't you, of all of, of the family that you leave behind and the friends that you leave behind and the tasks that have been undone. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's a moment of realism, I find. Uh, it's, it's, it's great for my spiritual health to fly. And so I find myself praying that God would keep me safe. But I also find myself wrestling through that prayer and coming to the point where I always say, Lord, whether I live or die, I'm safe in your hands. You won't leave me or forsake me. And if I die, I'll go to be with you and you'll look after my family and my friends, and the tasks that were left undone either don't matter or you'll make sure they get done. I say safe, and to me that means that the flight doesn't plummet into the Bass Strait. But safe for God means safe in the arms of God. Or take the plans uh, and ideas that we have as a church for the future. You know, we're talking, we're th trying to think through multiplying our congregations. Is it just a matter of saying, when we pray about that, God wants the church to grow, this is a way of growing the church, therefore what we pray for, God will bless. No, it's not that simple. I think we should pray like this. Lord, please build your church. If you want to build your church through multiplying congregations, then so be it. If you want to build your church not through multiplying congregations and by doing something else, then please help us to accept that as well. And if you want to build your church by multiplying congregations and that falling in a dismal heap and this church turning into nothing and disappearing from the face of the earth then so be it as well. You see, we, we get so bound up in asking that God would work according to how we think it's best to work. And actually, we need to go, Lord, here it is. It's all yours. You work it out. Because you will, you're way smarter than I am, or any of us are. And you know the end from the beginning, and we don't. And when we pray like that, we can come away with a quiet confidence that what we've asked of God, he'll do. We know that God keeps us safe. We'll know that he'll do what's right and good and kind and just. 
We know that he hears us and we know that he loves us very much. So John says, when we know we belong to God, when we know we're part of his family, he hears us and what we ask, we receive. But then John goes on to talk about a kind of prayer that for us may seems a little bit unusual. So look at chapter 5, verse 16. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. John says if we see somebody sin, we should pray. We pray for people to get better. We pray for people to grow in their faith. We pray for people to come to faith. But we struggle tremendously to pray for people who sin. When was the last time you prayed for somebody that God would forgive them? Other than yourself. Maybe we don't pray for it because it feels judgmental. Because to pray, Lord, please forgive Bob for being angry, you you kind of have to acknowledge that that actually happened. And that feels a bit awkward, a bit judgmental. Prayer for the sins and the forgiveness of others, I think, is a lost art. We uh, had a meeting last week of ministers and we had these reports from the churches and I had to write the questions that the churches had to answer. And one of the questions that I wrote for the churches to answer was, what are the, sins of the, what are the biggest sins of the churches, uh, of your church, that needs to be addressed? And so we were then to pray about that. And it was amazing how awkward it felt to pray. We're not even praying for individuals, but to pray for individual churches and say, Lord, please forgive such and such a church for their worldliness or for their apathy or for their prayerlessness. Extraordinary, isn't it? Maybe that was just me that felt awkward. Maybe nobody else did. But what a fabulous thing to model to our children, for instance. When they're unkind or they get angry or they hit their brother or sister or they don't do what they're told... And you sit down and talk with them and and after you've talked it through with them, you say, let's pray. And you say, Lord, please forgive Jane for, you know, being unkind to her brother, Tom. What a great example of how to bring things to, to God and to live at the foot of the cross. And of course, if you do that, when they get angry and when they're mean, then you'll have to do that as well when you get angry and you are mean as well. And sit down with them and say, why don't we pray that God would forgive me for my sin? John says that when we see another Christian, a fellow Christian, sin, we ought to pray. Why should we pray? Because God hears us. When we pray for another Christian that God would forgive them, we know that God hears and God answers. 
and that we have what we already ask. And yet John seems to qualify uh, this encouragement to pray with a rather peculiar statement about sin that does and doesn't lead to death. I'm sure you, uh, you noticed that. He says we should pray for people who sin, but not, it would seem, for people whose sin leads to death. That's uh, one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament. Uh, I'm not actually sure that it's all that difficult, to be honest, but anyway... Uh, what is the sin that leads to death? Uh, and should we or shouldn't we pray for, for that? That's the question. Uh, as you read through the book of John, you can't help notice, and maybe you've picked it up as we've gone through over the last few weeks, you can't help but notice that John talks again and again about life, about people finding life, eternal life, a life from God, finding life as opposed to death. So chapter 1, verse 2, the life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Or 2.25, and this is what he promised us, even eternal life. Or 3.14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Or 5.12, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. To list just a few of the passages in 1 John that talk about life. So to have life is to know Christ, it's to belong to God, it's to be born again by the Spirit of God, it's to be a genuine Christian. It's not hard to see then that kind of on the opposite end, to sin unto death is to be apart from life, which is in Christ. It's to fail to meet the tests that John has laid out in his letter for those who truly belong to Christ. John's not creating two distinct classes of sins, some sins that can be forgiven and some sins that can't. Uh, he's talking about uh, people who are in Christ and people who aren't. Uh, as one writer helpfully pointed out, John isn't talking about unpardonable sin, but unpardoned sin. That is, he's not talking about sin which can't be forgiven, but sin which hasn't been forgiven. Do you see the difference? Not sin which can't be forgiven, but sin which hasn't been forgiven. Every sin can be pardoned, but every sin remains unpardoned unless a person flees to the cross and to Jesus Christ. So John has been talking, remember, in the letter about those people who were formerly part of the Christian community but who'd gone out. They'd gone away, they'd, they'd left the church, they'd left Christianity. And John is saying, I'm not talking about those people, I'm talking about your fellow Christians. You should pray for them when they fall into sin. John's been talking about the confidence that we can have in prayer and what he's saying is that when we pray for our fellow Christians, that God would forgive them. We can know that God hears our prayer. We don't have that confidence when we pray for someone who isn't a Christian. So when we pray for someone who isn't a Christian that they might come to faith, we don't know whether God will answer that prayer or not. We pray and we trust God's wisdom and we hope in God's mercy and God's kindness and God's love, but ultimately we don't know what God will do. But when we pray for a fellow Christian, we do know what God will do. When we pray that God would forgive, we do know that God will answer that. 
John's not saying don't pray for people who aren't Christians. It sounds a bit like that's what he's saying. But the language he's using is quite elliptical. It's kind of roundabout. It's a bit vague. He doesn't explicitly say don't pray. Uh, the, the way that it reads in our Bible, in the NIV, it says, I'm not saying that you should pray about that, which kind of makes it sound like you shouldn't pray about that. But it's, more, it's kind of a bit more, uh, you know, roundabout than that. Literally, he says, I'm not talking about that so that you would pray. So he's, he's not talking about people who've, who don't believe the gospel so that we would pray for the people who, our fellow brothers and sisters, who sin and we know that God will hear our prayer. So he's picking up on that confidence that we have. He wants us to be bold in praying for each other. That's his purpose. Bold in praying for each other because we know that God hears us and gives us what we ask. I think that's a good reminder for us. Because praying for the sins and the forgiveness of other Christians is a lost art. And John's saying, yeah, look, pray for, other, pray for people who aren't Christians. That's, a, that's an important thing to do, absolutely. But, you know, there's a degree of certainty in that, uh, uncertainty in that. But when we pray for, for our fellow Christians, we know that God hears us. So, so start doing it. Pray. Pray because God hears and gives us what we ask. So John says, if we have this assurance that we belong to Jesus, then we know that whatever we ask, according to God's will, he hears us. And we know that praying for fellow Christians when they sin is according to God's will. And so we know that God will forgive them. But what do we do finally? What do we do if we don't have that assurance we don't have assurance of faith, if we don't uh, have assurance that we belong to Jesus, does God still hear our prayers? So, if, you know, if I have assurance, I know that God hears me, but what if, I, what if I don't have that? Will God ignore my prayer if I don't have assurance of salvation? Well, that's uh, my favourite fallacy. That's the old fallacy of denying the antecedent. All rich people are human beings. You're not rich, therefore you're not a human being. Uh, it doesn't follow. The logic uh, breaks down. And it's the same in this case. Just because you don't have assurance doesn't mean that God doesn't hear you. John does say in chapter 3, verse 21, Dear friends, if, your hearts do not, uh, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do whatever, uh, what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Does God mean that when he, when he says that, that we have to start obeying him before he'll hear our prayer? Do we have to love other Christians before God will hear us? It kind of sounds like that a bit, doesn't it? But John's not saying that. He's not saying that obedience and love are the reasons that God hears us, but they're the evidence that God will hear us. He hears us because we belong to Christ. That's why he hears us. He hears us because we're his children, born again through the Spirit. Obeying God and loving fellow Christians doesn't make God hear us. 
But it helps us to know that when we pray, God will hear. The only reason that God hears is because we fled to take hold of Jesus. So you might be thinking to yourself, I have no assurance that I belong to Christ, uh, but I want God to hear me. How can God hear me? And the answer is, flee to the cross, flee to Christ. When you come to God in Christ, God hears your prayer. We don't have to obey God so that he hears us. We don't have to love other Christians so that he hears us. John says in chapter 2, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He hears us because Jesus is our advocate who stands before God and pleads our case. If you come to God through Jesus, acknowledging Jesus, acknowledging your sin and trusting in him, then God says he hears you and saves you and makes you his child. And yet while that's true, while it's true that God hears us if we come through Christ and that we don't have to be perfect for God to hear us, it's also true that we can't expect God to hear us while we cherish sin in our lives. So we can't expect God to forgive us and cleanse us from sin when we're kind of holding on to sin. You know, this is us kind of embracing sin and saying to God, God, please, please forgive me for my sin. You know, we're hanging on to bitterness and anger and saying, God, please, would you rescue me from this bitterness and anger? We can't say to God, you know, deliver me from the darkness of sin when all the time we're kind of hiding ourselves in that darkness and refusing to come into the light. David prays in Psalm 66, if I cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. We can't come to God duplicitously, you know, saying one thing and meaning another. But we can come to God and say, Father, I want to be set free from all this rubbish. I want to want it, actually. I'm clinging on to this stuff and I need to let go. Help me to let go. And God hears us when we come through Jesus. Why does God hear our prayers? He hears our prayers because we call out through his beloved son. And when we see the work of that son, Jesus, at work in our lives, we can know that God hears us and that we have eternal life. And we know that whatever we ask of God, he gives us what we ask according to his will. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, 
you're not only a God who speaks, but a God who listens as well. Lord, it's such a great comfort to know because Sometimes it seems as though there's nobody else who'll listen. Or even if there are, Lord, people who'll listen, they're not able to really do anything about our predicament or our problem. Still less are they able to deal with our sin and the brokenness of our world and the brokenness of our lives. But, Lord, we rejoice that you are a God who listens to us, not because there's anything worthy in us or because we pray in the right way or because we say the right words or whatever it might be, Lord, but you hear us because we have seen and believed and trusted in your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we come now with empty hands Again, and just ask that you would have mercy on us in your majestic Son. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for all our sins, that we have sinned against you. Forgive us for our anger and our bitterness, and our pride and our selfishness and our self-seeking. Forgive us for our prayerlessness, for our fear of men. Forgive us for our worldliness and complacency and apathy. Forgive us for those things, Lord, and pour out your grace on us so that we might live lives apart from those things. Lord, help us to pray for each other when we sin and to seek your grace and mercy in each other's lives. And Lord, if there are any here this morning who don't know you and who are afraid that you won't hear them, Lord, we pray that you would enable them to flee to you in Jesus Christ and that you might answer their prayers. In his name, amen.